the tools are just not as interesting for me to discuss when they're taken outside of the context of the emotional and the personal aspect of music. I've never been one to just focus on like, well, the only reason that this music exists is because I have these tools. I, I would much rather talk to people about what's going on behind the music. And I realize that not everybody has an opportunity to do that. And I understand that not everybody is a is, is comfortable to just like go out there and be like, yep, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And it's easier to just kind of talk about the gear or whatever. But because music is such a personal thing to me and because the connections that I make with people are so intense and important to me, like I, I'm, I'm, when it comes to things like the process of how I use the tools, it's a little bit difficult to explain because in a way that always takes backseat to like, you know, just having an excuse to talk to people about what's going on in the world or my world or their world or whatever. So. You are listening to Sound and Process. Sound and Process is an exploration of the artists of lines. Come join the conversation at LLLLLLLL.co. That's 8Ls.co. Josh Mason's music is an alcove you've never noticed and a park you've walked through a hundred times. Over the last eight years, he's released 20-plus albums of solo and collaborative work. Through guitar, tape loops, digital and analog synthesis, Josh has established an enchanting lexicon. His music is an ever-evolving conversation about personal and philosophical challenges. Its tones and timbres speak with curiosity and humility. Josh keeps his practice approachable and immediate, which defies stagnation. There's so much waiting for you in the next 40 minutes, especially if you've been feeling stuck or uninspired. So I hope you enjoy Sound and Process, episode 18 with Josh Mason. I, I had this epiphany recently that the way that I like to work on stuff is very similar to the really old Aeon Flux cartoons. I, I really like this idea of just being dropped into this weird situation where everything is already rolling. Like there's already a, there's already a plot going. There's already a story, except that you're not really given any dialogue or any details. And you're just sort of left with, okay, all of these elements are just here already and I'm now I'm trying to figure out where the story is going or where it's headed and I feel like that's a really good visual representation of what it is that I'm trying to do when I'm making these sounds. There's a lot of times where I just sort of will let it sit and it doesn't it doesn't actually go anywhere, it doesn't actually do anything and I just wait for these things to interact, like if I have multiple layers going on or whatever. There's all these, there's either loops or there's textures or there's motifs or whatever that are all kind of swirling around at the same time and I just sort of try to not add too much that it becomes impossible to pick out the different parts, but I also want it to feel like you can just sit in it and let it happen around you. Thank you. 
it's probably about 50-50 intention and accident in a way. Um, there's a really good scene from that Ed Harris, Jackson Pollock film where he's just sitting like for days or weeks in front of a giant canvas just staring at it. And I do that quite a bit. I will just set up whatever it is I feel like I'm going to be working on, whether it's a, a piece with the with the synthesizer or a piece with guitar or whatever. And I will just sit and stare at it and think about it and think about it and think about it. Which I think just comes from years and years of having done these things. And I, and I, and I have a general idea as to like what where my strengths lie in my skill set and so there's definitely things that I that I fall back on or like techniques that I that I kind of have in my tool belt that I know that will work and so I will plan it and plan it in my mind and then usually when I sit down to do it about half the time it sounds the way that it did in my head and then the other half of the time it's just a total train wreck and uh, I have to start all over again. I like to set things up, but I also like to give myself room to have a happy accident, which I think is some of the most interesting parts of my music. It just depends on how happy I am with the accident, I suppose. Um, there are there are definitely accidents that spur me on to be like, oh, I had no idea that if you modulate this thing with that thing, then this thing will happen, or if you play some, I don't know, some piece together with another piece, like it actually is in the same key or something that I hadn't ever considered. And then I'm like, oh, this is, this is great, but it just depends. I think I actually do this backwards from just about everybody else who makes music. I sit down and I usually have a theme in mind and that theme will lead into, you know, wordplay um, because my music has no words. I, I gravitate immediately towards wordplay and then that leads into album titles and that leads into song titles and like what is the what is the story that I want to tell with the very few words that I have access to wherever this ends up? So it generally starts with all that stuff swirling around in my brain, and then I sort of distill that into whatever the musical output is going to be. And, and a lot of people come up to me and say, like, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? Like, you're, you're putting yourself in a box, or you're, you're not allowing the work to speak for what it is, and... I just can't explain that. I mean, I, it's just always made sense to me. And I think that because, because of the music that I'm involved in, it's so closely related to art and, you know, my education and the things that I was into growing up that I can't separate all that stuff. Like, there's, it just works that way in my mind. And I, and I think for a long time I fought against that. I was like, no, 
you need to write something and just like feel it out or you know record something that you think sounds good and just see where it goes from there and, and it always ended up feeling like a jumbled mess of of riffs or just like a patch gone completely haywire that I, I couldn't like nail it down in time or space to anything um, so eventually I just leaned into the idea of saying like look this is this is okay. You can totally do it this way. If it works for you, it's fine. I think it's possible to make music that is emotional or sentimental without being nostalgic. I mean, to pull things from memory, I think is one thing, but I don't, I don't like to pine for those things. I like to use those things as, you know, looking at the trajectory of like, okay, this is how I got from A to B, and how is that going to continue on to C and D? You know, I've ha I have pieces that I've worked on that were very rooted in um, the death of a loved one. And it started out as a way to process that, but then I find myself asking bigger questions and, and thinking more about like, how do I feel about dying? You know, like how does, how does that impact the way that I live my life? And so it's sort of like a, a way to, kind of like when you're in the shower and you're thinking about something else after you've been working on a project for a really long time and all of a sudden you have the answer to something, it's kind of like that where I, I have the music going or I have loops running or I have textures running or I'm playing guitar and it, it frees up my mind in a way or frees up part of my mind so that I can just process all of these things that I'm dealing with. And then, and then along the way I arrive at solutions or answers or new ideas and then that energy is then sort of like injected into whatever it is that I'm that I'm working on musically. I think to be personal about these things is important um, for me. I mean, I, I've always been that way. I've always been a you know wear it on your sleeve kind of guy. My brother-in-law's mother um, was diagnosed with a, a pretty serious uh, degenerative brain disease. And really quickly that spiraled and she ended up passing away. And um, I, I'm, I've always been really bad at condolences. It doesn't matter if I've known you for 30 years or I've known you for 30 minutes. Like I've just never been good at knowing what the right thing to say was. And, you know, that was definitely a good example of something where I, I sat down with an idea and I wasn't really even thinking about playing guitar, but I had a guitar and I was playing it and the tape machine was on and I was working on it, but it was all just sort of a, it was all secondhand to what it is that I was thinking about. 
you know. Um, and then later on, not too long after his mother passed away, there, his daughter was born. And so, you know, this thing that started with this one idea that I had after all the time that I spent with it and working on it, it sort of morphed into this new idea about, you know, the transference, like sort of one thing goes out, the another thing comes in, that kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, that was a that was definitely a good example of, of a way that I spent time working on the music without actually working on it. And, and then once I arrived at like how I felt about it and started to kind of unpack all the things that was really affecting me, then that was then reintroduced like a feedback loop back into the music. I have this habit of playing guitar that, in a way that I spend a good amount of energy trying to not make it sound like a guitar. And that uses all kinds of techniques from hitting it to, uh, you know, removing the muscle memory of making chords, you know, or finger picking a certain way or whatever like the introduction of other elements to it um you know like an ebo or um, how that signal is then processed between the guitar and whatever it is the output destination is um pedals or whatever and it's really just sort of like a a, like a farm maybe (laughs) like a pen of animals where i've got this like there's this situation where there's all these things that I can do within a certain, you know, like walled in area that I know that if I stay within this area, it will not go haywire. Like there is a contained sort of environment and I just let all, all manner of like random, uh, gestural things happen on those instruments within these parameters that that I can control. it's just intuition you know like you more often than not I find myself feeling like I have added too much I'm I'm that's always something that I'm challenging myself to do or at least more recently is not to feel like I have to fill every single space with a sound or a texture of some kind but but I think it's mostly just intuition it's just where along the timeline of this piece um, does this gesture fit in? Like, do I need to, does there need to be like a swell here or is it like an immediate attack kind of a situation or is it more of a, you know, like some kind of auxiliary sound that is generated by like, you know, little stuff like my wedding ring banging against the, the neck by accident or something like that or um, and that's sort of where that incidental, accidental 
playing comes in where stuff like that happens and I think like oh yeah that that's good I need to remember that or I need to come back to that or there needs to be less of that if it's not if it's not good I don't really have a set way of making decisions about how the material is captured. Uh, like, for instance, on my record that just came out, a lot of that is sort of, I have these parameters in mind and I set them up. You know, I set up, the, I set up that, that walled-in area and there is just any number of random activity or you know sort of like a balance between melody and harmony but also angularity and just sort of random activity that i can't or that i don't necessarily know where or how it's going to come into it and i just let it run until i hear something or i find something that i like and then i will i will start to capture it and then there's always there's always some going back into like a DAW and saying like how do I want to how do I want to organize what I've captured and does it need more and how much of how much of, the, of a balance should there be between you know the idea of a live take of material where you have all the voices and all the textures all running together in one shot versus saying like okay well this is too much and maybe i need to dial it back and then go back in later and add more or do eqing or, or whatever it might it might need um in order to make it work i i've also been really into this sort of like song or sound within a song or within a sound um similarly to uh like smile by the Beach Boys, where there's just sort of like these weird songs within songs, or it just jumps all of a sudden to like a completely new section. Um, so sometimes those will be decisions that I'll make later on, where I just think like I'm gonna cut this off right here. Like wh like wh where's the rule that says this has to this has to blend seamlessly into the next piece or the next section or the next texture or whatever. Like if I don't feel like it needs to go on any longer or if I'm tired of it I'll just cut it right there and then a new piece starts and that's what it is if the piece accomplishes what I want out of it in three minutes then it should be three minutes it doesn't need to go on for another 30 minutes like and I've and I've definitely fallen into that too where you know something will loop for you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and I'm just like, I, I don't even want to hear this that long. Why would anybody else want to hear it that long? So I just think it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a certain level of just comfort in knowing that like, okay, this, this piece lasts for X amount of time and that's all it needs in order to communicate what it is that I want to communicate. I think at the end of the day, the tools are just tools. And I, I think that the idea of 
there being a set way to use any of it, I can see the benefits and I can see also why people would be frustrated. You know, I think, I think especially within the community that we're involved in, there are any number of levels of comfort with these tools. There are people that have been making music for 30 years or whatever, and they are comfortable with how these things work, you know, like in a conceptual way, like this thing oscillates. So it does this, you know, this is what it is versus people that are more like in the hobbyist realm who aren't necessarily interested in making, you know, very clear, concise musical statements with it just yet. They're still exploring like, what does it do for me? So I think depending on the point of view that you have, you can, you can take that and say, you know, I, I like the fact that this thing tells me what to do. I'm, I like the fact that this, you know, device says if you hit this button, then this action is a result, you know, versus, you know, something like Cold Mac, which I, the first time I looked at that thing, I just thought, there's no way I will ever use one of these things. It's just so esoteric and so weird, and I don't have time for that. Um, and then, I, of course, I got one, and I was just immediately enthralled and puzzled by it all at the same time. But, um, you know, to some people, they I, I totally understand wanting to have some roadmap or, like, some idea as to what it is just from a, a pragmatic standpoint. But the fact that it can be anything is 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 really interesting. And I think that some of the best results that I have gotten out of these tools are ones where here's an oscillator but within that there are quirks that go along with it like um, one of my favorite oscillators ever is the the first piston honda i love that thing for all the reasons that people hate it um it does what it says on the tin you know it is a wavetable oscillator but it's it's got all kinds of weird quirky problems with it where if you if you you know if you have the attenuator all the way up and you feed you feed it CV then it will freak out it will change like uh, it'll change one of the other wavetables in the in the cube or whatever and it's not supposed to do that like that's a total problem with the software you know like on this device which which I think is awesome it also has this ability to get it stuck between wavetables which is also not something that generally most people are like, oh yeah, that's definitely a feature that I want. <laughs> I want this thing to get stuck. But I use that to my advantage all the time. And it's it's like this little trick that I have up my sleeve all the, whenever I'm like, oh, I need this kind of sound or this kind of texture. That's immediately where I go because I can get this sort of like discontinuity like click where, where it, can't, it can't really decide what wavetable it wants to be on, so it just sort of skips between the two, and it's like, it just creates a whole new texture that I had never inten intended to make, but it actually ended up working pretty well. So, I mean, I think that, for me personally, I like to have some idea as to what it does, but I like that there's also some quirks under the hood that are still to be explored. There, there has definitely historically been a, a jump from tool to tool because for a long time I was, 
you know, trying to make my guitar sound like anything but a guitar. So then the logical step was, well, why don't you try your hand at the thing that you're trying to make this other thing sound like? You know, like, okay, I'm trying to make my guitar sound like a synthesizer. So let me see what happens when I actually use a synthesizer. And then that kind of spirals into another thing where now I'm approaching this new instrument almost in a backwards way trying to make it sound like a guitar like how do I do that you know and I think that it seems to me that maybe that's some of the impetus to have things like rings constantly sound like plucked strings because it's familiar to somebody like they have some historical frame of reference for what that should sound like so it's like a it's like a jumping off point like okay well this thing mimics the thing that i just moved from so i at least know that it can do that but like what else can it do how much further can i push it Playing electronic music like this is really difficult, I think. Playing it live is really difficult to do it well. So pacing and timing with live sets was never something that I was really comfortable with. And so that that whole tour, I brought a book of Wallace Stevens poems with me um, to have open. And I had a couple just like dog-eared along the way. And, and every time I felt like you know, something was getting away from me or, you know, maybe I had made a mistake and like started a new segue into a new section of music that I wasn't really ready to do yet, but it's already looping and I can't, <laughs> I can't get away from that or whatever. Um, then I would just, I would just take my hands off of the synthesizer in this case and just look down and just start reading. And it, and it allowed me to kind of slow down and, and, to give yourself that sort of breath, like, okay, just listen for a second to what you've created. Listen to what is swirling around and what, and listen to what other people are hearing. That's, that was always a problem I have is that I was never really thinking about like what was going on. I was already worried about moving into the next part or moving into the next section or, or thinking about a part of the set that I wanted to experiment with or something like that. So to slow it down, and to to use that as a way to say like okay let's just let this ride for a second before you start making any more decisions and i found that it really helps it really helped me with with feeling comfortable about where i was in this atmosphere that i had created and deciding like okay this has gone on long enough or let's let this ride for more time or whatever so that's kind of where that started and then ever since then i've had something on my desk whether it be poems or short parts of stories or specifically with l plus the letter letters on ethics um just these sort of little like manageable things that i didn't have to really completely take away my focus from the music but be able to look down and kind of pull out words or pull out statements or sentences about you know a topic or you know with poems, especially with Wallace Stevens, his stuff is so rooted in imagination that just the wordplay in and of itself was worth having next to me. So 
yeah, ever since then, I've had something with me, and it's 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 been another tool that I think of. You know, I think of it as like another piece of gear, basically. The symbiont, for example, is entirely based on two short stories. Hell Plus is based on these letters, and I think that I think that that's it's connected to how I deal with all these things, right? There's all these things in my life that I'm dealing with that I put into my music. And part of the way that I deal with these things is I I read. I read into topics that discuss the things that I'm interested in or whatever. And again, because I don't have any words in my music, I've, I've, I somewhere feel like I, I need to fall onto some words in the process. And so in doing that and having these books and reading things and, and I, extracting things to use them for musical purposes I find that in a lot of cases these people have said things better than I could have ever explained um, or they've already said what I what I am thinking to say so I just lean on them and their and their words historically so like with L plus I was reading through Seneca's letter on ethics and I I would pull out these I would pull out these pieces either working on music or not working on music if I was just reading it in my spare time or whatever I would pull out these these moments on the page and it would strike me you know philosophically and I would think like okay that's really pretty awesome and and I I would you know meditate on that for days and days and then that would kind of work its way into that sort of Jackson Pollock blank canvas stare at it for a couple of days and think like you know how does this translate to 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 sound It helps with pacing, and it also, if if it's in a an aggressive piece of literature, you know, or if it's like a if, it, if something has a darker tone, you know, then maybe it, it influences like how noisy something could get, or how clean something might sound, or if there's wordplay involved, like if it's poetry, for example, then there's cadences and things like that where it. it you start to you start to read it in your head or you hear it in your head the way you would read it but maybe not necessarily the way that the author intended it to be read so you kind of create your own rhythms and cadences and stuff that i think makes it into the music whether it's like a you know the the sound starts to skip around more or like loops tend to jump around from you know start points and end points and everything in between or or if there's something that, in a piece of literature that I read, that I'm hung up on. In fact, there's a really good example of that on L+. I had this piece in mind where, at the end of this letter that he had written, there was sort of like this, uh, you know, farewell, I'll talk to you later kind of thing. And, and the way that he had phrased it, I was just hung up on the end of that letter, just constantly thinking about that thing. And then that track actually just has that sort of frozen, like, L cap loop at the end where it's just sort of constantly repeating just like that text was constantly repeating in my mind so things manifest that way as well
Collaboration is really important for me. I think that one of the coolest things about collaborating with other people is, again, for me personally, being open to acknowledging what are my strong suits and what aren't. Like, what are the things that I bring to the table? And then also being able to sit back and say, like, look, you don't have to be riffing all over this record. There, there, there's something to learn from other people. Um, and if you and if you are willing to admit to yourself that like maybe their skill set plays better here in this instance, then you can dial yourself back and watch them. So not only are you taking yourself out of the equation to let other people breathe, um, but there's a whole well of knowledge to to be gained from that. And there have been people that I collaborated with that I just have no idea how they do what they do and that was really great because that was a chance for me to to step back and 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 watch them do their thing and then and then it became an educational experience for me and it's, and it's it's humbling too in that way i think that when you're just sort of in your own head and you're you're working on your own stuff all the time it's really easy to just sort of like have your head down and not really be able to expand any of that. Music has always been a tool for me to be connected to others. My my memories of growing up listening to records around the house with my parents or my my dad was a guitar player and um, you know me me bugging him to teach me you know some Green Day song or something stupid that. You know, it, it was never about, like, that song. It was me getting to spend time with those people. or you know, and, and same thing with playing in bands or even, like, going on tour. I mean, in some ways, going on tour is a total nightmare when it comes to the music. But when it's over, we'll talk about all, all the, the cool things that we experienced along the way. So, like, in, in some ways, music is just a vehicle to allow me to spend time with other people.